We, we are so grateful and thankful. How many of you are thankful for the ministry of Pastor J.R. and Heather? Just a great, great pastor. I mean, uh, the weekend I'm scheduled to come preach, he leaves the country, but whatever, you know, it's, it's cool. It's cool. But I'm so thankful and grateful. My uh, wife, Angela, she attended this church as a teenager whenever Brother Landry was here years ago. And uh, we were just so uh, glad that their ministry, Brother Landry, meant a lot to me. I was a pastor, actually, in Anahuac, just down the road for almost three years uh, before going up to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for about a decade. And then in the summer of 2020, they, uh, I had no connection to Jimmy Swaggart Ministries other than I knew Dr. Don Paul Gray. Dr. Don Paul Gray had been pastor in my hometown of Quinlan, Texas, and so he uh, asked me to send him a resume, and my wife sent him a resume. He knew that we had worked at another uh, Christian university, and so I thought, okay, we'll send you, you know, a resume. Didn't think much about it, and then a year later, they called us to join the team there, and I'm telling you, the Lord has just been so great, gracious to me, and uh, opened up opportunities that I never dreamed of that it would ever happen, and I uh, just give all honor and glory to God. All I can say is study and show yourself approved, and you never know what kind of door that God is going to open, but when God does open that door, go through the door. We're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight, but I believe God is going to open up doors that no man can shut, and we're going to walk through that door, Amen whether it's on the job, whether it's in this ministry, whatever it may be, we're going to believe God for big things. One thing I've learned being around Brother Swaggart is to believe God for big things and to attempt something big. How many of you know that God has big things in store for Mauriceville Assembly of God? If you are not on board with that vision, you need to get on board with the vision of what God wants to do here. So we're so thankful to be here Grateful to be here. I'm thankful of my brother and sister-in-law and my niece and my nephew are attending church here and uh, just enjoying the ministry here. My niece, Olivia, is about the sweetest kid you will ever meet. And my nephew, Luke, he is my nephew. So, you know, but uh, thankful for all of the Royal Ranger commanders and children's church workers and Sunday school and everyone who invests in these kids' lives. Thank God for them. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first five verses. If you get the opportunity, uh, come by our table out front. We want to give you some information about Jimmy Swaggart Bible College. I'm the chief recruiter for JSBC. We're on the ground floor of a lot of great things there. The Lord has blessed us with a wonderful facility uh, everything is debt-free to the glory of God. We're able to keep the cost down low. You can earn a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies with a specialization in pastoral ministry, youth ministry, or children's ministry, and a minor in media or music, or you can earn online the Associate of Arts in Biblical Studies. We are in the process of going, we are going through the accreditation process. It's a long process, but we are endeavoring to get that finished. So Please keep us in your prayers. One great thing about JSBC is to live on campus and take a full load of classes 
is $3,000 a semester. You will not find a Christian college cheaper than that, especially one that is on the verge of being accredited. So I can't say we're accredited yet, but we are working on it, and we are working toward that. And we have one of your students at our school, Brother Dalton, and he has been a blessing and is a blessing to the ministry. So any other any other youth out there or kids that are like Dalton, send them our way. We need as many of them as we can have. So we're glad to have him out there. So let's look at our passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, in these next few moments, that you would give us clarity of thought and ease of expression most importantly, the anointing of your Holy Spirit as we look at this passage and what you are saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a priest and a rabbi were from local parishes. They were standing side by side, holding up signs on each side of the road. And the rabbi's sign read, the end is near. And the priest on the other side of the road held up a sign and it said, turn before it's too late. And they planned to hold up their signs to each passing car. One car drove by and the driver yelled out, get a job. And then when he saw the sign, the second driver immediately behind the first yelled, leave us alone, you religious fanatics. Shortly from around the curve, the two clergymen heard screeching tires and a splash, followed by more screeching tires and another splash. The rabbi looked over at the priest and said, Do you think we should try a different sign? And the priest responded thoughtfully, perhaps our signs should just say the bridge is out. Sometimes we need to get to the point. And the point of our Christian life is what Jesus did at Calvary for you and me. What he accomplished at Calvary, the most important event in all of history. And so when I joined the team at JSM, some people say, well, how do you feel about Brother Swaggart and his message of the cross and, and his theme of the message of the cross and preaching about the message of the cross? I said, I'm on board with the message of the cross because I believe that's what Paul taught in the New Testament. I believe that at Calvary is where everything changed for you and me. All through the Old Testament, they were looking forward to, the, to this event, and all back in the New Testament, after the Gospels, they're looking back. How many of you know the Bible, for all 66 books, is about the cross of Calvary and what Jesus came to accomplish and what Jesus came to do? So I don't think it's wrong to say, or that you can say, that we preach about the cross too much. How can you preach about the cross too much? How many of you know people need to know the answer? The real answer, and where the answer is found. Paul said, when I came to you, his arrival in Corinth is described in Acts chapter 18. He he met a Christian couple there named Aquila and Priscilla. 
They were tent makers by trade like Paul. He ministered in Corinth for a year and a half, and he supported himself by tent making. I love the, the I love and my goal as a pastor is to be able to devote my full time to the ministry. But in my two churches I pastored, I was a tent maker. I was a bivocational pastor. If you look at the latest copy of The Evangelist, I wrote an article in The Evangelist to all of our bivocational pastors. Now again, I want every pastor to be able to devote their time fully to the church, but I thank God for our pastors out there that have taken on a church, that work a job, that are trying to revitalize that church because I believe not every church needs to go out of business or shut down. I just believe sometimes God sends the right person to work there and revitalize that church. So thank God for our bivocational ministers. And Paul was a bivocational minister. He supported himself by tent making. But Paul says here very clearly that he didn't come as a philosopher or as a salesman. He didn't come to Corinth as a philosopher or a salesman. He came as a witness declaring the testimony of God. How many of you know we don't need any philosophers or salesmen in the pulpits? Being a philosopher, being a salesman is not going to change our world for Jesus. Just this past week, the Supreme Court ruling reversed the Roe versus Wade ruling and making it now at the state level as far as what each state needs to do. And it's interesting because lots of different people posted a lot of different opinions. I posted a meme that just, uh, it said two words, life wins. That's all it said, life wins. And you would, and, and you would be surprised at the response that I got for posting life wins. Now, I didn't add any commentary. I didn't say anything else. I just said life wins. Two people messaged me. If you don't know, sometimes I get in trouble on Facebook. It's my spiritual gift. I get in trouble on Facebook even when I'm not trying to. Two people messaged me. One said, I can't believe a, a so-called man of God would post that. How could you be stirring up and rubbing it into people's faces? People are hurting. You are a fake man of God. All I posted was life wins. It's interesting. Pay attention to the response of people during this whole time. I've had more people tell me, oh, don't rub it in their face. Be sensitive. Uh, you know, be, be this and be that and concern, concerning this ruling. I want to say publicly, I thank God for this reversal and this ruling. To make it, amen? I just want to say sometimes, am I going crazy that ministers of the Word, preachers of the Word, pastors would have a hard time celebrating this. Now, I'm not brought condemnation to one person. It is a complicated issue. There's a lot of things involved there. But I thank God that, that and there's still a lot of things to go regarding this. But I 100% celebrate this thing. We don't need philosophers. We don't need salesmen in the pulpit. He came... Paul came as a witness declaring the testimony of God. He was a man who could reason. He could debate persuasively. He didn't use that approach in the gospel. He made a conscious decision. He said, I determined. He put the emphasis not on himself, but on Jesus and him crucified. 
How many of you know we need churches that aren't just putting the emphasis on a personality or putting the emphasis on themselves, but putting the emphasis on Christ and Him crucified? Too many people in the ministry are so concerned about building their own brand and building their own image and building their own following. I, I was shocked the other day. I looked at my Facebook and I didn't realize it, but it said I had 7,000 followers. 7,000 followers. I thought, man, I am really something. No, I didn't think that. But I thought, wow, 7,000 people are that interested in what I had for dinner last night. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Now, I tell this to Gabriel a lot. When I was on Generation of the Cross the first time on his program, I did get a few people request me as a friend. But when I was on Message of the Cross with Brother Swaggart the first time, that's when people began to really uh, want to add me as a friend or know who I was. Once I was on that show, then I thought I had arrived. If you ever want to be humbled, then be on television on a network that goes out to a hundred nations and have Jimmy Swaggart ask you what you think about a passage. It's a very humbling experience. If you ever see me on a program and I have a weird look on my face, it's because I'm thinking, don't say anything stupid, don't say anything stupid. Not too long, not too many months ago on a Wednesday night, talking about revelation. Now I have a Bachelor of Science I have a Master of Arts in Bible and Theology, I have a Master of Divinity, and I have a Doctor of Ministry. My Doctor of Ministry degree is in expository preaching. I know a lot, I've read the Bible through, I've taken classes on every book, but I'm not an eschatology expert. I know all the, I know all the layout of the end times, but I'm not really what I would classify as an expert. So Brother Swaggart asked me, he said, well, Dr. Watts, what do you think about this passage here? We were reading about how John saw a vision and God wouldn't let him write it down, write down what he had seen. He said, why do you think God wouldn't let him write it down? And there I am on Wednesday night with the cameras looking at me. And in my brilliant response, I said, Brother Swaggart, it's a mystery. That was my brilliant response. It's a mystery. Of course it's a mystery. That's what he's asking me. Why do you think it's a... I had no idea. So I'm telling you that to say that I, I'm all... You know, we want to no, preach and know the whole counsel of God. Sometimes we have to admit that, you know what? I don't have the answer, but I can look it up. I can ask the Lord, and the Lord will help me. Amen. If you came this morning thinking that I had all the answers to everything, then you're wrong. But I will tell you the answer to what society's problems are and what the church's problems are is found in the cross of Calvary and what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. Paul was not a salesman. He was not a philosopher. He put the emphasis on Jesus and Him crucified. He was an ambassador. He was a witness. He knew what God could do. In taking this approach, he didn't cater to what the audience wanted. How many of you know as preachers of the gospel, we can't cater to what the audience wants to hear all the time. It's a, I've, I've seen churches, and I've talked to pastors of large churches who have given out surveys. What would you like to hear about? What would you like taught about? That's not the way it works. The pastor has to seek God and ask God, God, what is it that you want me to preach? 
How many of you know I'm going to say something nice about your pastor while he's gone? Don't tell him that I said something nice. But he is not a salesman. He's not a, a philosopher. He's going to step on your toes sometimes because he's going to preach the Word of God. And if you're offended by that, then maybe you need to examine yourself and why you are offended by that. But I thank God for pastors like Pastor J.R. who are not afraid to preach the Word of God and to tell it like it is. Sometimes we need to be convicted. Sometimes we need to have our toes stepped on. Everything we hear is not always going to be, you're a champion, everything's positive, you're going to be victorious. If somebody told you that in your Christian life everything was always going to be easy when you became a Christian, they lied to you. Because it's not going to be easy. But how many of you know that when we're down in the valley, that's when God shows himself? And when, we are, when we're going through hard times, everything's not going to always be easy. Everything's not going to always be something positive. We cannot be salesmen. We have to be an ambassador, a witness of what God can do. We don't cater to what the audience wants. In Corinth, they put a premium on the veneer of false rhetoric. In, in this passage, Paul knew that the Jews requested a sign and the Greeks sought after wisdom, but he doesn't care. He says, I'm not going to try to wow you with my wisdom. I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. If a preacher is not careful, he can get in the way of the gospel instead of being a servant of the gospel. He can obscure Jesus by his preaching, either in the presentation or in the message. How many of you know Jesus is at the center of it all? The center of everything that we do. This church is going, oh, there goes my pen. I didn't mean to do, I couldn't do that again if I tried. Thankfully, that didn't hit anybody. I don't need it, but uh, anyway, that'll make the blooper real. I don't think I've ever done that before, but... Uh, don't tell Pastor J.R. I'm, I'm destroying all his stuff. But how many of you want this church to be a regional church that reaches this whole region for Jesus? The focus, amen? The focus has got to be on the cross and on the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit. Some people have asked me, they say, uh, they say are you still assemblies of God? I am still ordained in the assemblies of God. There's two Ministers on our staff, Dr. Don Paul Gray and myself, well, three with my wife that all have credentials still with the Assemblies of God. Does that mean that uh, I, I, I want to make it clear that I love the Assemblies of God and I always will love the Assemblies of God? Does that mean I'm totally happy with a lot of things? No, but I'm praying for God to move in our fellowship and I'm praying for churches like this that whether or not it's Assemblies of God, whether or not whatever it may be, the focus is not on a denomination or a person, but the focus is on Christ. Because that's where our victory comes from. Not in our denominational affiliation, not in who we know, not in, you know, how much education that we have, but in the cross of Christ. Paul said, I determined not to know anything. It doesn't mean that he left all knowledge aside, but that he had the gospel, the crucified Messiah, was the singular focus and passion when he was among them. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. He was not brimming with self-confidence. He knew the, the, the limitations. It made him weak and afraid. 
and it kept him from being too self-confident. I've met some folks that are so self-confident, and I've wondered, why are you so confident? And I've admired their confidence, but I have not been somebody brimming with self-confidence. I've been invited to preach on the network. I've been invited to preach at some great churches. That noise that you hear when I'm preaching, that's my knees knocking together because I'm not brimming with self-confidence. But I want you to know this morning that I am weak and he is strong. And all the education that I told you about, my, bachelor, my bachelor's degree, my master of arts, my master of divinity, my doctorate of ministry, all of that and $4 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks if I don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen? At JSBC, we are raising up young people where we don't, we don't leave all knowledge aside Paul didn't mean he was leaving all knowledge aside, but our singular focus is Christ and Him crucified. And without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, all of, we can pour all the Bible knowledge that we want into our head, but the Bible is a living, breathing thing. It changes our life. It's a, the revelation of His Word. It changes our life. So he said, I was with you in much fear and trembling, not with persuasive words. Paul is not... He's not rejecting preaching or even persuasive preaching. In the book of Acts, in chapter 26, before King Agrippa, he gives a great example of persuasive preaching. But he's rejecting any reliance on the preacher's ability to persuade with human wisdom. He said, I came to you in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Paul knew it's the preacher's job to preach. It's the Holy Spirit's job to demonstrate. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is still moving among us today? And I believe He's going to move in even greater ways. I'm a Pentecostal charismatic historian. I've studied lots of great moves of God, all the way from Azusa Street and even pre-Azusa Street until now. But I believe the greatest move of God is still ahead of us and not behind us. Because when Jesus comes back for his church, he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. He's not coming back for a weak, emaciated church, but a church that is victorious. I do believe that the world is going to get worse, but the church is going to get better. And people are looking for real answers to real problems. The answers that we seek is found in the cross. Amen preaching strategies that are centered on the wisdom of man, that are centered around emotion and in entertainment and human personality. They may yield a response, but they may not, they're not going to yield results for the kingdom of God. If someone's faith is in the wisdom of men and not in the power of God, if you can be persuaded into the kingdom by human wisdom, you can be persuaded out of the kingdom by human wisdom. But how many of you know, no matter what you try to do to persuade me, I will never be persuaded out of the kingdom because it wasn't in human wisdom I came into the kingdom. I came in by a revelation of who Jesus was, and he changed my life forever. So you can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to convince me that God is not real. I know he's real because I feel him deep in my soul. So no matter what you do, no matter what you throw my way, I am not going to lose out of my relationship with God. Let's get past all of the things that make us stumble and make us want to lose out. We say, well, the church is mean to me. 
That person is mean to me. I've got a newsflash for you. People are mean and they're self-centered and they're inconsiderate. And God says we can't slap them. We have to love them anyway. So whatever, I, in my 22 years of ministry, I've been stabbed in the back. I've been punched in the face, not literally, but almost. I've been everything you can imagine. People say the most horrible things about me. Say the most horrible things about my wife. Now, I know that's really hard to believe. You can believe about me, but about her. But it doesn't matter what anybody does. I'm not losing out in my relationship with God. We've got to have deep-rooted faith that no matter what comes our way, no one's going to make me lose out with God. No situation's going to make me lose out with God. If you can be persuaded into the kingdom by man's wisdom, you can be persuaded out by man's wisdom. So what is the message of the cross? What is this message of the cross that we teach? The, messages of, the message of the cross is a saving message for our justification. When we came to Christ, we're justified before God. Justification, the way to remember, the easy way to remember is just as if I had never sinned. How many of you know those things you did in the past are under the blood of Jesus? Not to be brought up. If you're living in condemnation of what you did in the past, you need to remind the devil that's under the blood of Jesus because that's not from God. That condemnation is not from God. So it's a justification message, but it's also a sanctification message, a sanctifying message. The Greek word for sanctification is, is hag, uh, excuse me, hagazi, haga, uh, I'm tongue-tied this morning, Hagazo, hagazo, hagazo means to make holy. The word holiness basically comes from the same thing, hagazo, to make holy. How many of you know we are not like the world? We're separate from the world. Called to be made holy, to help us understand a little better, it can mean that we are set apart from something to something else. When I came to Christ, I don't act like the way I did. I don't do the things I used to do. I'm set apart. I brought out of the world. The Greek word for the church is ekklesia. The word ekklesia means the called out ones. We are different from the world. Not that we are walking around with an elitist attitude, but we want to tell people we don't do the things we used to do because we've taken off our carnal mindset. We've put on our spiritual mindset. We're being sanctified every day in the image of God, growing closer and closer to Him. So help us understand it can mean we're set apart from something to something else. Believers, upon faith in Jesus, what He's done, from the, what he's done for us at the cross are set apart from the world and set unto Christ exclusively. Sanctification refers to making one clean, Justification refers to declaring one clean. How many of you know I've been declared clean because of the blood of Jesus? Not by my own, not by my own works, not by how much tithe and offering I've given, not even by water baptism, but because of what Jesus did at the cross. When you open up your life fully to the Holy Spirit and He refreshes your soul and you understand that the Holy Spirit works in the parameters of the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross. He fills you full of His love and His power. Sanctification 
goes with our position in Christ. Brother Swaggart explains it this way. At salvation, you are secure in your position in Christ. The sanctification process is you are trying to make your condition match up with your position. Aren't you thankful? Now, please understand me, because a lot of people misunderstand when we teach this and preach this. They accuse us of preaching unconditional eternal security. I'm not teaching unconditional eternal security, but we have railed against eternal security so much in the Pentecostal church that we've become eternally insecure. Aren't you thankful that every little slip-up that we do, God is not ready to thump us on the head and send us straight to hell, but we're thankful for the grace of God, amen? Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know about you, and I don't know about your pastor, but I, I sin sometimes still. Even though the sin nature's been defeated at the cross, sometimes that old man wants to creep back up. If you ever want to test your sanctification, then come to the front of the church in Baton Rouge on Blue Bonnet Avenue about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That will test your sanctification. Don't, nobody tell anybody I said this, but the worst drivers in America live in Louisiana. They live in Louisiana. That's just, that is a fact. So if you want to test your sanctification, come and, and drive there on Blue Bonnet. But our position is secure in Christ. There is a time where we can walk away from God, where we can choose to reject His grace, and we can lose out with God. We 100% believe and teach in backsliding and know that we can backslide, but I'm thankful and I'm grateful that when we do mess up, the Bible says when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, if you'll allow me, I'm going to read the Expositor Bible notes. If you don't have an Expositor Bible, I recommend getting one. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Brother Swaggart's notes say, This shoots down the unscriptural doctrine of, eternal, of unconditional eternal security. Be not deceived. This presents the words of our Lord. Let no man deceive you. In Mark 13, 5, neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. This refers to those who call themselves believers, but yet to continue to practice the sins mentioned, whom the Holy Spirit says are not saved, irrespective of their claims. Then the next verse, one of my favorite parts of this passage, and such were some of you. You say, Brother Dave, you don't know me but if you knew what I used to be, I was a rascal. I was not a good person. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Aren't you thankful you're washed in the blood of Jesus? Cleansing you from all sin. But you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. Justified meaning I'm declared not guilty. In the name of the Lord Jesus that refers to what Christ did at the cross. When we talk about the cross, we're not talking about the actual wooden beam of the cross. We're talking about what Jesus did at the cross so that we might be saved and by the Spirit of our God. So some of you, before conversion, you say, I was really bad. I was in bad shape. 
but I've been washed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified by the Spirit of our God. I've been washed, referring to the blood of Jesus, pertaining to His death, His burial, His resurrection, and our being placed in Him and all of this procedure upon our conversion. John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. We're washed. We are sanctified. We've been made clean by the blood of Christ. Now we're given a position of sanctification, which is a position of perfection because God cannot accept anything less. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, the writer says, For by one offering He has perfected forever them who are sanctified. And then he says, We are justified. As sanctification made us clean, giving us the position in Christ, justification declares us clean, declaring the work as a legal entity. All of this, the washing, the sanctification, the justification came to us by the blood of Jesus, what he accomplished at Calvary. And thank God, the last step of this, one day after being washed, after being sanctified, after being justified, we're going to be glorified. Hallelujah. Wait until you see my glorified body. I'm going to be better than the greatest athlete you've ever seen. How many of you know the rapture is going to take place soon? And we're going to pass from corruption to incorruption. And I would prefer that we all just get raptured and, and go straight together. Okay, let's not have any more funerals. Everybody just be raptured, all right? Everybody hang around. But I believe Jesus is coming back soon. We're going to be glorified. We're washed. We're sanctified. We're justified. And we're glorified. All because of what Jesus did for us at the cross, our faith in His finished work. But sometimes as a believer, we find out our condition is not, is not exactly up to our position. This is when the whole process of sanctification takes place. The process of being sanctified as it regards our daily life and living. This is a process that never ends. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you who will also do it. How many of you know that God, he's going to see you through? If you don't quit, God won't quit. If you don't quit, God won't quit. Don't give up. You say, Brother Dave, I've done too much. I've stumbled. I've fallen. I know I haven't lived right. I know I haven't done right. It's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Come on back. Rededicate your life. Those sins will be forgiven. All you have to do is confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive those sins and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Our faith as a believer must always rest in the cross of Christ where the victory was purchased by the blood of Jesus the Holy Spirit works exclusively within the parameters of the cross of Christ. The finished work of Christ will begin to work on behalf of the believer. Now, Brother Swaggart is, is one of my heroes, one of the greatest men of God that I've ever known. And I love him dearly, and I love his family dearly. And it's a great privilege every time I get to be around him, to be on a program with him. He's preached the gospel to millions upon millions of people. 
And he's talked openly about in his life being up in the middle of the night, walking the hallways, praying and crying out to God and asking God for the answer to victory over sin because he had his struggles. We all know, we know his struggles. We know he struggled. It was laid out for the world to see. And in 1997, God, after many years of praying and seeking the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit whispered to him and said, the answer that you seek is found in the cross. The answer for victory over sin. It's not in our denominational affiliation. It's not in our water baptism. It's not in how much money we give in the offering. It's not about all the great works that we do, but the answer is found in the cross. So many people in the church world live in bondage because they're not plugged into the right answer. Get back to the cross and understand what Jesus did for us at Calvary. When our faith is anchored in the proper object, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, we'll begin to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. This is how the sanctification process is brought about, to bring up our condition to match our position. God doesn't require much of us, but He requires that our faith be exclusively in Christ and what Christ did at Calvary. Is sanctification a work of grace? Everything we receive from the Lord, including sanctification, is a work of grace. Grace is simply the goodness of God extended to undeserving people. The whole process is brought about by faith. It, it, the correct, but faith in the correct thing, faith in the cross and what Jesus did at Calvary. Everything that's done in our hearts and our lives can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Understand me today because there's some people who embrace the message of the cross and they begin to downgrade and downplay the role of the Holy Spirit. We're not downgrading the Holy Spirit at all. Uh, this is a Pentecostal church, amen? If the Holy Spirit wants to come in and take over, He can take over. I'll be down here, you know, I can be laid out over here on the floor. That'd be fine with me. But, you know, we're going to have the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit. But we've got our logo for our ministry is the cross and the dove. Without the cross, we don't have the dove. We've got to understand the relationship as Pentecostals. Trust me. I'm not downplaying Pentecost at all. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, keep seeking God for it. You need it. You need it because you need it for power, for service, to do things for God. Brother Swaggart has said many times, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he would have never been able to preach to the stadiums he preached and accomplish the things that he has for the Lord, preaching the gospel to millions and millions of people. So I want a moving of the Holy Spirit, but I want us to understand the proper role of the Holy Spirit here in this day and this hour. Jesus is the source of all things that we receive from God. The cross is the means by which these things are received. All of this is superintended by the Holy Spirit. Now you say, okay, you're working on your sanctification. You're trying to get your condition to match your position. Does that mean that there's such thing as entire sanctification? Does that mean that the believer can have a particular experience with the Lord where he's entirely sanctified, that some people teach 
that that person here on earth can attain sinless perfection here on earth. I do not believe the Bible teaches as such. I do not believe that the Bible teaches that we can attain sinless perfection here on earth. Just out of curiosity, how many of you this morning have attained sinless perfection? Anybody? Anybody? Has anybody per- attained perfection? If you raise your hand, then you've blown it because you're lying. You have not attained perfection. We're not going to attain sinless perfection. That's why I'm saying I'm not talking about a loose grace and a, a loose thing, but understanding that every time we mess up, God is not just going to whop us on the head and send us straight to hell. Thank God for His grace. Amen? Amen. Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 3, he said, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, or I pursue, in the Greek, I pursue, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Now, Paul didn't think he had attained sinless perfection. I, have, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this thing I do, I forget those things that are behind and reach forth those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the, high, of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he's proclaiming the manner in which all of these things are done. I want to tell you this morning, if you don't remember anything else I said, forget those things that are behind and press forward to the, to the things that God wants to do. Toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You say, well, I messed up. I messed up big time. This is going to blow your mind, but there have been times when I messed up big time. But thank God for His grace. Now, our, our uh, youth pastor, Paris Reagan, he was a college baseball player. He's given his testimony many times. He was a, he was a hopeless alcoholic. A hopeless alcoholic, and God set him free miraculously by the power of God. He got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, quit drinking. Brother Lauren Larson is our dean of theology at the college, and Brother Larson, one of the greatest Bible teachers in America. He's talked openly about, about before he came to Christ, being on drugs, being in alcohol, being involved in all kinds of sinful activity. And I jokingly one day said, well, I got saved when I was five years old because I grew up in the church. I said, I got saved when I was five years old. I got saved from a life of popping M&Ms and drinking Kool-Aid. But how many of you know, even though I grew up in the church, I didn't go through drugs and alcohol and all kinds of other crazy things that we always like to harp on, I still sinned in my life. And I still needed victory over sin in my life. So whatever your testimony may be, you may say, you may say, I was one of those when Paul says, as such were one of you, but you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. You're pressing toward the mark. Forget the things of the past. I stole this example from Brother Larson talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I am a long-suffering Dallas Cowboy fan. You say, there you go, you've blown your perfect sanctification by being a Cowboys fan, yelling at the TV. But I'm a long-suffering Dallas Cowboys fan. 
Dak Prescott was under the rookie contract. He was making about $400,000 a year. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like for the base salary that I'm at to only be $400,000 a year. I'd like to try that for a while, but uh, I'm just, I'm not six, five and can throw the ball a mile. This is not gonna happen. But that was the cheap contract. After a couple years, he signed the next contract. It went from $400,000 a year to $40 million. Now, I'm not good on math, but I think that 40 million is better than 400,000. You know, I, I, think that, I think that's safe to say. There were aspects of the old contract that Dak Prescott had. Those aspects were in the new contract. He had to be at practice at certain times. He had to do all of these things that were required of him. Those things didn't change in the new contract, but the new contract was a better contract than the old contract. It's the same way in our spiritual life. The old covenant, there are parts of the old covenant in the new covenant, but we're not in the $400,000 contract. We're in the $40 million contract. We're in the new contract. Because of Calvary, we have all the benefits that God has given us that they were looking for in the old covenant that they didn't have. It was fulfilled in the new covenant. How many of you know the new covenant is better? I don't want to live under law. I want to live under grace. I don't want to live under law. I want to live under grace. Because under the old Mosaic law, if you smarted off to your parents, they could stone you and kill you. I would have been gone a long time ago. Thank God we have a new contract because of Calvary. A better contract. The whole theme of the book of Hebrews is the word better. A better sacrifice. A better covenant. What Jesus did for us. We have a better... Now there's aspects of the old covenant in the new covenant. There's aspects of the old contract in the new contract. But I am living in the new covenant. I can, you and I could not do enough good things to merit the favor of God, to earn the favor of God. But thank God, He sent His only Son to die for you and me. If you ever wonder, does God love me? Remember the words of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God proved His love for us while we were yet sinners. He sent Jesus to die for us. Amen. And I tell you something, what Jesus purchased at Calvary is a lot more valuable than even $40 million. You and I are reconciled back to God because of the cross. We can't forget that. I want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. I made the statement that many people in the church, as a pastor, I've seen this a lot, many people in the church bang their head against the wall seeking the answer for victory over sin, the answer in their life, the answer that you seek. I'm, I'm not just toting the company line here, but I honestly believe the answer that we seek is found in the cross, found in Calvary, what Jesus did at Calvary. And if you're saying today, Brother Dave, I've been struggling in my life, been struggling with sin that's a besetting sin, that I can't get past, that I can't work through. I've tried in my own flesh. I need the Lord. I need the Holy Spirit to break that thing in my life. I don't know what it is. I don't care to know what it is. You don't have to tell me. It's between you and the Lord. If you want prayer today, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. 
Thank you very much. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest today. I don't know what it is that you need, but I know that the answer is found in what Jesus did at Calvary, the, the complete work, the full work of God at the cross. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. Just like Paul, Lord, we say that we are weak and we're frail and we can't do things in our own strength. Lord, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today, Lord, for those who lifted their hand. They need victory over a besetting sin. They need victory over something in their life, Lord, that has had them ensnared. God, so many different things that want to beset us. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, malice, gossip, lust, envy. All of these things, Lord, these strongholds the devil tries to get in our life. Today, today, Lord, we pray for victory by the blood of Jesus. Lord, as these things, as were such some of us, we were these things, but those, those things are now broken because of Calvary. We're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified by the blood. We receive that today. We accept that today, Lord, what you did at the cross. Hallelujah.